Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on tour. We have a special visit tonight with Lou Bank. We are um, at the aftermath of the uh, a special workshop that he did. There are bodies for everywhere. Everywhere, it's a mess. The United States Bartenders Guild Charlotte chapter. Lou is a mezcal expert and agave evangelist. Lou, thanks for joining us today. It is my pleasure, Katie. Tell us a little bit of background about the workshop that you just conducted. Yeah, actually, it was really exciting for me. So I, I, I've done, I don't know, two, three dozen tastings uh, of agave spirits, traditional and artisanal agave spirits, um, to any number of groups. Uh, but I've never done one that was just for people in the industry. And so much of what I'm trying to do is preach the gospel of agave, to try and get people to stop drinking it in cocktails, to start drinking it neat, to appreciate it the same way that you appreciate a bourbon or a scotch. And the best way to do that is to get the people who are serving it to talk about serving it neat. How did you first get into agave oh and agave goodness. spirits? Uh, so, so, in 2002, I was hired by Rogue Ales, a, um, a microbrewer in Oregon. And, um, and they hired me because they thought it was the, the guy who ran it was a crazy human being, was a crazy human being. Um, and he thought it was really funny that of 400 people who applied for the job, uh, there was one guy who didn't have any experience in adult beverages, had only had four glasses of beer his whole life, and had really only worked in comic books. And so he hired me, and I, I realized that not all beer was Coors, and I fell in love with beer, and then I found out I was gluten intolerant. And I had to find stuff that I could drink that didn't have gluten. Uh, and I didn't realize at that time that when you distill, that it, the gluten comes out of the, uh, the, the, the grains that you use in whiskey. So I thought, oh, I can drink tequila, and I can drink rum, and that's it. And then somebody said, try mezcal, and I did. And did you have an aha moment? You know, it, it, at first it was a, um, initially it was a moment of, oh, this is really tasty. You know, I wouldn't call it aha. Um, it wasn't until I went to Oaxaca and I met the producers that it became something different. If, 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 seeing how they make it, why they make it the way they make it, using methods that are 150 years old or more, um, and, and how that came about really for me was life-changing. And uh, if, if I found out uh, tomorrow that I am now also agave intolerant, it would not stop me from doing what I'm doing. The, for me, the impact goes beyond just the fact that these are amazingly delicious spirits. It's an impact on the communities that are making the spirits. Hold on. I got to interrupt here. Um, for anybody who's listening who might not yet be a mezcal expert, what is the basic definition of mezcal. <laughs> okay. So, back it up. Back yeah, it up. I, I, I like the, the, the modifier basic. It's very important. <laughs> uh, so, uh, mezcal is a spirit that is distilled from fermented uh, agave plants in very specific regions that has been certified as mezcal. So, you know, there's denomination of origin for things like champagne, right? Same thing for mezcal, same thing for tequila. Um, in fact, what I've got here, there is nothing on this table that is mezcal. And I, it's a longer issue. I get kind of angry about mezcal, the word mezcal. What I've got are agave spirits. They are uncertified, and they are beautiful, and they are made the way they are supposed to be made. But in essence, mezcal is anything that is distilled from fermented agave. 
And when you say certified, you're talking about denomination of origin I certified. Am, that is exactly right, yeah. Okay. And um, the basic relationship between mezcal and tequila is that they are agave Kissing spirits cousins. from different regions. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's exactly okay. right. Yeah, yeah. All right. So now we can talk about what's on the table. Okay. So when I go down to Mexico and hang out with the maestros who make these traditional agave spirits, for the most part, they sell them to me um, in bulk, in whatever bottles they have. Like, I've, I, I learned the hard way uh, that when you go to Mexico, you're driving through the desert, you should drink a lot of water anyway. So I go down there, I buy a couple of cases of one and a half liter water bottles, and as I finish them, and usually I'm going through seven, eight of those a day, you keep them in the trunk, because when you show up at the maestro's places, you don't want to have to wait two hours for, the, for their son to run over to the store and get some empty bottles. So, so I fill up uh, plastic water bottles, I bring them back home, and then I have to put them in glass because you don't want the acid from the, uh, the spirit to take on the flavor of the, the plastics. So Olegario Juarez is a, uh, a 58, 65-year-old man in, uh, make sure you shake that bottle before you pour, um, in uh, Santa Maria, Sola de Vega. Oh, that's perfect. We call that banking the bottle. No relation. So uh, Oligario is in Santa Maria, Sola de Vega, and what he does with, and all of these guys, there's some commonality, but what he's doing is he's taking a, what's called a mescalero agave, which is a kind of espadine that's going to be somewhere around eight to ten years old before he harvests it, and uh, he's going to roast it in an earthen oven, literally a pit in the ground that's lined with stones. He's going to light a fire in that pit. The fire is going to go out after several hours, and then he's going to stack his agave in that pit. He's going to cover it the same way that you would cover, say, uh, a whole hog if you were cooking it underground. He's going to cover it with a tarp, and he's going to cover it with dirt, and he's going to let that roast uh, just from the heat that's built up in the stones. He's going to let that roast for something like four, five, six days. He's going to take it out, and he's going to mill it. He's then going to ferment it open air in wooden barrels. So he's using, he's using uh, yeasts that are natural wild yeasts from all around the palenque. Those yeasts are going to jump in there. They're going to eat the sugars. They're going to spit out alcohol and spit out CO2. He's then going to... Um, uh, put that ferment into his clay pot stills and using wood fire underneath the still, he's going to get the temperature above 173 degrees, which is the boiling point of alcohol, and below 212 degrees, the boiling point of water, in order to separate the alcohol, which will turn to a vapor because it's boiling, from the water, which won't turn into a vapor. That's what you're drinking. And can you... Talk us through some taste. Do you do you like to do tasting notes for mezcal? For I don't. Spirits? I have got the dumbest palate. I've got horrible allergies. Uh, I'm allergic to dogs, and right now I have seven newborn puppies at my house. Oh. I know. I know. You're feeling Can sorry I for come me, over? aren't you? And that's what all the ladies oh. say. I think there is a. I think I'm going to skip the uh, the agave business, and I'm going to get into the business of renting out newborn puppies to bachelorette mm -hmm. parties. Mm -hmm. There is money to be made there. Thank you. I would pay a lot of money. Thank you. So I, like, my palate is really stupid. I, I can taste delicious, and I can pick up little notes, but like, unlike most of the people that I pour these for, I'm not even tasting everything you're tasting. You know, what I can tell you is when people talk about fine wines, right, they talk about the, the terroir and how it tastes like the place that it came from. 
And I, I, you know, I'll warn you, I'm kind of angry at grapes. So they talk about the terroir, but the grapes, the grapes were in the ground for a maximum of six months, right? This agave was in the ground for eight, nine, ten years. What's going to taste more like where it came from? Those grapes or the agave? Mm -hmm. So of these bottles on the table, they're from different maestros. They are um, going to be from different regions all in Oaxaca. Uh, some of them are the same regions. Okay. Like Felix and Lalo are both in Santa Catarina Minas. They are, in fact, cousins, right? Um, and they use the exact same production methods and often use the exact same agaves from mm -hmm. the exact same mountainsides. Uh, but, you know, even it's, it's interesting. If you, if you take... Three maestros, all using the exact, literally the same palenque, the same distillery, right? Uh, so the same tools to ferment and distill, using the same agave from the same region, those three maestros will each turn out a spirit that tastes different. The hand of the maker is so important in this. Every, every one of these bottles has an author, and you're going to taste that author when you taste that bottle. Mm -hmm. I think it would be so cool. Can we taste those two side by side? The from Felix, Felix and, and Lalo? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, please, feel free. Just we... shake that bottle before you... You already know that. I think you got to bank that Felix. bottle. <laughs> what you're th drinking out of are one-third ounce clay copitas that were handmade for me by, uh, by this really sweet woman in Chicago. I had my first tasting event a few years back. Uh, I knew I needed 120 vessels to drink out of because I wanted to taste 25 people on five different spirits. Um, and I didn't want to have to use plastic cups because when you drink out of a plastic cup, those tiny little like samplers, your nose goes right to that plastic and so much of flavor is in aroma, right? So you end up thinking, oh, these all taste kind of off. Well, really, that's just the plastic. So I wanted something that was glass or clay. She wasn't a glass blower. She did work with clay. So she made these for me, and she made them in that, that open shape, right, to reflect the way that the maestros taste their spirits within their own palenques. So this other thing that's on the table, this uh, uh, what looks like a gourd, right, is called a hikara. And it's a fruit, uh, and the end result of the fruit, like when it dries out, is this, this beautiful vessel that, frankly, like that's what I'm trying to echo with those little clay copitas. I want... I want people to head, get their whole head into it when they drink it. In fact, what we're going to do is empty this out here, empty this into the, and then and fill the hikara and taste the exact same spirit in the clay and then in the hikara. And you tell me, you tell me that there's not a difference. And I want to talk about this, um, the agave from Felix, because I, um, I, I would love to just talk about the taste of this a little bit. To me, what I get really strongly is... Um, like peas, like a legume, um, pea, kind of in English mushy pea flavor. So I think it's like, it's so vegetal in comparison to the oligario that we tried a moment ago. Oh yeah, yeah, totally taste that. You know, and so much, so much of the flavor will also come from the minerality of the water source within the town. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. That's really cool. So I'm, I'm excited to compare this to the Lalo. Uh, as we uh, pass around the Hikara to try, uh, can you please tell us about Sacred and uh, this organization that you're the executive director of? What's your mission and what's your project? Yeah, so Sacred. I, 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 I've, been, I've been helping 
to uh, build libraries uh, down in rural Mexico since, oh goodness, I think it was 2012 or 2013 when we started giving money to it. And so what I would do is I'd go around to, um, to my maestro friends and I'd buy bottles from them. And then I, so that's you know one form of economic development. I'm paying gringo prices, um, and then I bring it back to the U.S. Perfectly legal. I declare it all. I pay my duties, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then I would hold these tastings for friends, and get them so excited about the spirits, and then they would make donations. So then I like. In essence, and this is what I do for a living, right? I, I'm a fundraiser for nonprofits, and so I, I it, it turned my hobby into my business. I'm not making money at it, but it's like every time I turn around, something that I love becomes something that I do as work, which I guess is you know find what you love and do it for work, and then you don't have anything that you love that you just do for a hobby anymore. I think is what the saying is that the saying? That's something like that. Something like that. So anyway, so eventually I thought I, I need to formalize this because there's so. Dark Matter Coffee is this amazing artisanal roaster in Chicago. And the guys at Dark Matter, like every white tablecloth restaurant uh, in the Midwest gets their coffee from Dark Matter. And those guys love agave spirits. And I took them down to Oaxaca, and they, so they wanted to do a project uh, that raised money for these things. But they had to have a certified 501c3 not-for-profit to do it. And I thought, okay, I guess now is the time that I turned this into a not-for-profit. So I thought sacred, saving agave for culture, recreation, education, and development. Sacred. So that's, that's what I do. And my mission, you know, my, my mission is to improve quality of life in rural Mexico. Uh, and that's absolutely what I'm trying to do by building libraries, replanting agave, um, building uh, greenhouses to facilitate the replanting of agave, and also helping to manage water reservoirs um, in rural Oaxaca, in, in one town in particular where literally the water reservoir that they developed uh, has saved them from the, uh, the negative effects of drought. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations to you for getting that off the ground. And <laughs> <laughs> congratulations to you for drinking um, spirits in rural doing, Oaxaca and realizing other people would want to do that too. Doing good by doing what you love yeah, is yeah. something that we uh, really stand behind. So. <laughs> amen. Um, yeah, amen to that. So we just snuck a taste of the Lalo. What did you guys think uh, as something that was produced in the same region? Um, same region? The, it's a block away. I mean, sorry. So <laughs> when we're talking about terroir, there's probably not a lot of difference between those two plots of land. But they're quite different. Yeah, it's kind of like when you talk about the, um, is it the Islay scotches? Mm-hmm. Where they taste like Band-Aids, but good Band-Aids? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, I, I think the, the one that had the salinity was the Catalina and Lazaro. Was that, am I right about that? Do you, can you comment on that and why that one might be coming off kind of salty? Wow, the, the Catalina did to you. That's interesting. I when think I, so. I'm when just I, trying to remember I, that. I taste. taste it again because when I taste okay. Catalina, I swear to God, what I taste is juicy fruit bubble gum. <laughs> you know, shake that bottle before you, shake it before you break it, baby. There you go. Is that enough? That's, yeah, that's plenty. But you know, I, sometimes I when is, you, I think this is the one you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but, it's it's um, this is definitely it. It's super fruity, but it's also salty. Yeah, give me that to me. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, 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 totally get that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I definitely get the juicy fruit, but it's like. Well, the the salt with with any of these, the water source is so important. 
The water source is so important. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that that there's there's high levels of uh, of sodium in their water. That would make sense. It's mineral water. It's literally mineral water. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, that, it's such a treat to try these all side by side. They're so dramatically different from each other. Uh-huh. Um, we are almost out of time, but I also wanted to ask you about another organization called Ten Angry Pitbulls. <laughs> what, sure. What's going on there? So uh, in 1997, my, uh, 1997, I woke up one day and realized I had spent 10 years in the comic book industry. First... Uh, uh, running sales at Marvel Comics and then running sales and marketing at uh, Dark Horse Comics. And uh, and so I, I was 30 years old. I, my entire resume was comic books. And I thought, that's not that's not an appropriate thing for an adult. And I'm 30. <laughs> I should be an adult now. So I, I, I left and I started doing freelance marketing. And at that time, it seemed like everybody who was doing freelance marketing, 1997, everybody doing freelance marketing, it was their name with marketing following it. I thought, that's the opposite of marketing. And if I did that with my name, everybody would think I was just marketing for banks. That would make sense. Right. Lose so I, bank marketing. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, oh, I just, I, needed, I just need a different name. So it's just as simple as that. I was just looking for a name mm-hmm. that was interesting, that would get people's attention, that would turn some people off. Because in order to get some people turned on, you got to turn some people off. So I, after some soul searching, came to the name 10 Angry Pitbulls. Here, here. Well, Lou, thank you so much. This has been really a special treat for us. Uh, For our listeners to learn more, they can go to sacredagave.org. Where else can they find you on social media? They can find us on Instagram at sacred underscore agave. They can find us on Facebook at sacred underscore agave. Lou Bank, thank you so much for being with us. Heritage Radio Network on tour. And to see the whole series, our listeners can go to heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks again. Thank you, Heritage.